chapter 44. The opening verses of chapter 44 is uh, going to take place in um, Ezekiel is going to be brought back by way of the outer gate and uh, he'll be back uh, brought to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces the east and um, you will notice that the gate is shut <clears throat> and then in verse number two and the Lord said to me uh, this gate shall be shut it shall not be opened and no one shall enter by it for the Lord God of Israel has entered by it therefore it shall be shut as for the prince he shall sit in it as prince to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the porch of the gate and shall go out by the same way. So again, Ezekiel is brought uh, back to the eastern gate of the inner court of the sanctuary. And this is in, in the inner court area. And uh, so as you consider where the temple and the grounds of the temple, there is an outer court area and then there's an inner court area. Um, where Ezekiel finds himself <clears throat> at this at this moment in time, and when they arrived, the gate was shut, and that is of course the eastern gate. Uh, the prophet heard the voice of the Lord declare that the gate is to also remain shut uh, that you see in verse number two uh, Ezekiel hears this. The Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. Uh, so it has been permanently shut, it's been permanently closed. And, um, <clears throat> and of course, let me say this to you uh, tonight. These verses raise several questions. Uh, several questions, of course, that many seek to have answered. The first question is, why was the gate shut? Number two, when was the gate shut? And then number three, and this is the one everybody's kind of waiting to hear, who is the prince uh, of the gate? Um, and so we're going to attempt to answer those for you tonight. The answer to the first question <clears throat> is actually found in the text. Uh, we see that simply by reading the text. God returned to the temple through the east gate just as he had departed through the east gate. Back in chapter number 10 and chapter number 11, if you will recall, um, Ezekiel had the vision where he saw uh, the, the glory of the Lord as it departed, of course, from the temple. Um, and then as we come to chapter 37, um, chapter 34, um, and also in chapter 37, we see where the glory of the Lord had returned back into uh, the temple. And so as a result of the glory returning back into the temple, um, the temple gate, the eastern gate, was going to be shut and it would um, not be opened again. When God returned, he promised never again to depart the city or the temple. Matter of fact, if you flip back and look at chapter 37 and look at verse 28, um, and we find the reference to verse 28, chapter 37, and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is, is, in, her, uh, is in their midst forever. And going back to chapter 34, and when you look at chapter 34, you can look at verse 30 and verse 31. Um, and they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, 
and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. And then back um, to, just go back to chapter 37 for just a moment. Um, and let's let's do this. Actually, let me give you some more passages here in chapter 37 just to help with this. Beginning in verse 24 of chapter 37. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to my or to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. The place of dwelling, the glory of God is going to return back to the temple, and it will be there, of course, throughout the duration of the millennial temple. Now, closing the east gate, uh, and just consider this, closing the east gate was a way of providing an affirming sign of his intention to remain in permanent residence there in the temple. Um, because now the millennial temple will not be, it will not be, um, um, you know, defamed. It won't be blasphemed. It won't be profaned, okay, uh, at all. Um, while they're there um, worshiping and serving during the millennial kingdom. And, uh, and we're going to see a little bit more in, into the detail behind that and why that will actually be. But to answer the first question, why was the gate shut? Because the glory of God actually entered into the temple from the eastern gate. And therefore, it coming in through the eastern gate, God's glory is not going to depart again uh, throughout the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ there in the city of Jerusalem. And so the temple gate has been shut as a result of that. And then, of course, the next question then is who uh, or when was the gate actually shut? And that's what we just talked about. It was shut, um, we believe, uh, when the glory of the Lord came into the temple uh, then the gate was shut. It's it's a little bit more difficult to actually figure what the timing of the closure is. Uh, Ezekiel was not told exactly when the gate was closed, um, but we figured it was sometime after the glory of God returned back to the temple uh, that the gate was shut and uh, permanently closed. Uh, as a result. And let me say this as well tonight. There is no evidence to suggest that the eastern gate of either Zerubbabel's temple or Herod's temple was permanently closed. Um, as far as we know, there's nothing in Scripture anywhere uh, that gives us any insight that, uh, um, that Zerubbabel's temple, and, and also understanding when we say Zerubbabel's temple, that was when Ezra and uh, Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, after the Babylonian um, um, bondage and captivity, uh, when they came out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. Of course, Zerubbabel and Ezra came back um, under the leadership of, of Ezra and uh, Zerubbabel, and they came back to rebuild the temple that was there. Nehemiah came back. They had they had, they had rebuilt some of the temple. Uh, and of course, the city of Jerusalem, the walls of the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed as well. Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
And so the temple that is often spoken of whenever reference is made to Zerubbabel's temple, it would have been the one, it would have been Solomon's temple that would have been desecrated and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians during the Babylonian seizure of Jerusalem. And so a lot of people get confused of how many temples were there. Let me just kind of help you with this just real quickly. There was the wilderness tabernacle, okay? And then there was Solomon's temple. And then there's Zerubbabel's temple. And then there's Herod's temple, all right? And as far as Herod's temple is concerned, the eastern gate was still open uh, for all indications that we know because uh, Jesus himself, when they came back into the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley, uh, as Jesus made his way back into Jerusalem before going to the cross, they came in through the eastern gate. All right. So um, as far as we know, uh, that those gates were never permanently closed at either of those. And as I said earlier, the eastern gate, um, you can actually see the eastern gate when you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look down across the Kidron Valley, you can see the eastern gate on the wall. Uh, and it is definitely, and I can say this, it is closed up. It's been closed up. Uh, it is still closed up to, uh, to this day. It's been closed up since the days of the Crusaders, uh, which has been a little more than, I guess, probably close to a 1,000 years now. That eastern gate has been closed up. I showed you all a picture of it last Sunday night uh, where it is, uh, it is closed up. And, um, but, as I said, they think that's going to stop um, the return um, unfortunately it will not stop the return okay nothing that they do there it will happen and, and let me tell you this the crusaders the the crusaders actually walled up the gate because they believe that jesus entered of course the temple mount um, by that that particular gate on palm sunday and that it should be closed until he returns to re-enter the temple mount and so that is one of the reasons why the crusaders actually had the gate closed up all right, now, how about the third question? All right, so why was the gate shut? Um, we know the reason for that. When was the gate shut? We don't know exactly for sure, but we pretty much um, affirm that it was done after the uh, glory of God uh, returned back into the temple or will return to the temple uh, during the millennial kingdom. But the third one presents the more difficult one. So the big question is, who is the prince of the gate? Well, let me say real quickly right off the bat, there are two, um, two thoughts as to who the prince is, actually three. And um, I'll save the third one till kind of last, but I will share and we will look at the other two. Of course, the first one being the Messiah, uh, the first one being Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to go through and look at that one. The other one is a resurrected David. Uh, there are some that believe that the prince will be a resurrected David that will come back and um, function in this capacity. And then the third one, um, I will keep until the end, okay? And uh, we'll go through and look at it. But let's go back to the um, book of, let's go back to the prophet Zechariah. So you'll need to turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Um, actually, Zechariah chapter 14 presents the Messiah coming to the valley on the eastern side of the temple in preparation for his entry into the temple area. Now, this is where a lot to draw 
that it's the Messiah, um, that it is Jesus Christ who is going uh, to be the one, who is going to be the prince. Um, so when you look at verse 4 and verse 5 of Zechariah chapter 14, and notice what it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And then you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Today the eastern gate is also called and referred to as the golden gate. It's a significant, and when I say this, uh, not just a little bit, it is a, it is a significant holy site for three major world religions. All right, And you need to really just take a little bit of time I'm going to walk slowly through these verses okay because they are complicated okay but this eastern gate called the golden gate uh, is a significant holy site uh, for three of the major world religions today and um, you could probably guess which ones they are but I will give them to you alright uh, Judaism uh, Christianity and Islam all right, it's for all three of those. As a matter of fact, when you stand at the Mount of Olives today and you look across the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem and you look at where the Eastern Gate is located, there is a Muslim cemetery right there at the Eastern Gate. And there's a very specific reason why they put that there. And they put that there because they figure that there is no way that Jesus Christ would walk through or go through that way to pass through the eastern gate to get into um, into the temple area. Um, just that's just that's a freebie for you. Okay, um, the Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah returns, that he will open the eastern gate and he will enter the temple mount first, and then enter the city of Jerusalem. Uh, that is what is taught by most of the rabbis. Uh, they feel like that's probably what will take place. Um, Muslims now, on the other hand, the Muslims believe that the gate is the site of final judgment, and they call it the gate of heaven and hell. And uh, so it is a very, it's a very holy site to them as well. They believe that the final judgment of humanity uh, will take place before the eastern gate and the redeemed uh, will be those who will be allowed to enter the temple mount all others will be outcast thus you have uh, the temple mount um, the dome of the rock which is located when you're standing on the mount of olives you can actually see down and see the dome of the rock you can see the muslim mosque that is located there and uh, it is it's very clear and it is very plain and so when you consider that area uh, and, the and the concentration of that area, uh, there are three, three major world religions that hold to that location. That's Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. 
Um, the gate was open in Jesus' day. We do know that, and perhaps he did use it on Palm Sunday and at other times. We don't know that it was just the one time on, on, uh, on Palm Sunday. Um, probably more than likely they would have come and gone through the eastern gate, uh, probably on more than one occasion. And so for the last thousand years that we know of, there has been no gate of access to the temple on the eastern side. Matter of fact, when you look at the eastern side, uh, there is no access to the temple mount from the eastern side at all. And uh, so it is completely closed up and it's completely closed, um, closed down. So any future opening and closing of this gate awaits the events of the end time, uh, the end times as well as the millennial kingdom. Um, so because of the, uh, actually because of the messianic associations with the eastern gate, uh, some have identified the prince as the messiah as I said, or even a resurrected uh, David. Matter of fact, let's go back to Ezekiel. And uh, let's go back to chapter 34, and I'll show you some of the verses um, <clears throat> that they tend to, um, to kind of hold to, all right? Chapter 34, um, and let's look at verse 23. Chapter 34 and verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, verse 24. And my servant David will be prince among them I the Lord have spoken and then we saw just a little bit earlier in chapter 37 and verse 24 my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them alright so when we look at those passages of scripture they tend to think that it will be the Messiah, even a resurrected David. Well, there's some difficulty here uh, with this, and the difficulty here with this is going to actually be found uh, over in chapter 44. So go back to chapter 44, and we'll kind of walk our way through this. All right? There are two very important details suggesting that the prince of chapter 44 and verse number 3 if you look at verse 3 of chapter 44, as for the prince, he shall sit in it as prince to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the porch of the gate and shall go out by the same way. Not physically through the gate, but by the porch area. Well, as we look at some further passages of scripture in chapter 44, it is going to become very apparent that this prince is not the Messiah, all right? We're not talking about Jesus Christ here when we look at this passage. First, that we need to understand the prince is not a priest. The prince here is not a priest. The priest will offer to him. The priest will bring to him. The priest will feed him. The prince here is not a priest, all right? So therefore, since he is not a priest, okay, 
it kind of eliminates him um, from possibly being the Messiah because keep in mind that the Messiah is both priest and king. He is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that is one of the things that you need to understand here. So this prince, uh, from what we're able to determine from chapter 44, and we're going to look a little bit further. I'm going to give you some more passages. I'm going to give you a lot of them, okay, uh, to go through is not the Messiah. The Messiah is portrayed in the Old Testament, uh, in Old Testament prophecy, as the coming priest king. If you go back to the prophet Zechariah and go back to chapter number Six, Zechariah chapter number six. All right, and we'll look and see just the way um, that the Messiah is referred to. Right, Zechariah chapter number six. And we'll just start in verse number 11 so you get all of the context here. All right. So it says, take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold a man whose name is Branch. You notice the capital B there. And let me tell you who that is making reference to. That is making reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. For he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices of priest and king. And so the Messiah is both priest and king. Now, the office of priest and king are always kept separate because the Messiah is to be the only one in whom these two offices are combined. He is the only one that they're combined in. No others, right? He is not after the priesthood of Aaron. He is after the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he is also king. Matter of fact, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26, and we'll begin in verse 16. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. 
while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all of the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So I want you to see the separation there that we see in Uzziah. He had no business being in the temple, serving at all. And so we see that separation between king and priest. And the only one in whose in whose lineage that has been combined is the Messiah himself. And he is the only one who has held to that capacity. The other reason that we don't believe that it is the Messiah, this prince is not the Messiah, because the prince here in chapter 44 is required to offer a sin offering. And we see that actually in chapter 45. And we have to go to chapter 45 in order to see that. The prince is required to offer a sin offering for himself every day for seven days during the feasts. So if you flip over to chapter 45 and look at verse 22 through verse 23, you'll see this. Chapter 45, verse 22 through verse 23. On that day the prince shall provide for himself and all of the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. Verse 23, during the seven days of the feast he shall provide as a burnt offering to the Lord seven bulls and seven rams without blemish on every day of the seven days and a male goat daily for a sin offering. You shall provide as a grain offering an ephah with a bull and an ephah with a ram and a hen of oil with an ephah. In the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month of the feast, he shall provide like this, seven days for the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. And that is what will take place by the prince to offer up those offerings. Well, the big question then... Matter of fact, the context of this is actually seen back up in verse 17 of that chapter. It shall be the prince's part to provide the burnt offerings. Well, if he's providing these and he's providing a sin offering, uh, I can tell you right now, the Messiah did not have to provide a sin offering. Okay? It was not a requirement on his behalf. He was the sinless Lamb of God. And then the other, the other part of that equation is this. We also know from reference in the scripture in uh, chapter 46, um, and we'll get there um, later and you'll see this, but there were also children involved with this prince. And uh, I will say this to you as well, Jesus Christ had no children, okay? So it kind of rules out that this prince would be the Messiah uh, for, those, for those two reasons. And using scripture... Tonight, one of the things I want you to make sure that you understand, this is not my opinion, okay? This is what the Scripture says. It's what the Scripture records for us. So when we consider the prince, he was not the Messiah. 
okay he's not a resurrected David as well and so we're going to look at here and I'm going to share with you who I believe that he is okay Uh, who this prince is going to be but using scripture the Messiah was the sinless sacrifice for all people and a perfect high priest let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 and we'll have the confirmation of that Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 through verse 28 Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 through verse 28 and according to the law one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands a mere copy of the true one but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the consummation of the ages he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him so therefore he could not the prince could not be could not be the Messiah so if the prince is not the Messiah he's not a resurrected David then who is he who is this prince some have as I said have also identified the prince as David resurrected and serving in the temple during the millennial kingdom right but that would not be the case either okay because David was not a priest so why would David be in the temple serving okay Uh, would not be the case so who is this person who is this prince and I know y'all are sitting on the edge of your pews waiting to hear who this prince is well more than likely let's go back to chapter 44 more than likely right Uh, the prince is a special representative of the messiah um, who will serve as an administrator of the temple Okay, and the temple area and you say well so how do you determine that well first of all we know it's not the Messiah we know it's not a resurrected David so here's what we need to do we need to go back to verse 3 and so when you look at the word prince in verse number 3 the Hebrew word there is is actually nasi okay and that's n-a-s-i nasi is the Hebrew word there and the Hebrew word actually means nothing more than leader or administrator. That's what it means. So this prince here is going to be some leader, some administrator, okay? And matter of fact, one of the other things that I want you to also understand, he could only enter by way of the porch, all right? And he would not be allowed to go all the way in uh, to the holy place of the temple area as well. And so when you consider that, the ones who will be serving, of course, will be the priests from the sons of Zadok, uh, who were part of the Levites. 
And so one of the things that most people confuse when it comes to the millennial temple, and one of the things that I want to make sure, and you're going to see this as we go further into chapter 44, 45, and 46, and we're going to go verse by verse. We're not going to, we're not going to rush this, okay, because I want to make sure that you understand and get this. All right, the, the sons of Zadok, okay, are going to serve during the millennial kingdom, and they're going to serve in the temple. And matter of fact, they have been set aside specifically to serve. All of the Levite priests will not. Only the sons of Zadok. And there's a very specific reason why it will only be the sons of Zadok. If you look at verse 15 of chapter 44, you'll see where it is very, specific, uh, very specifically spelled out for us. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. And they shall enter my sanctuary, they shall come near to my table to minister to me and to keep my charge. And it shall be that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, they will be clothed with a linen or with linen garments. And wool shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house. And the reason why it is not wool is because wool is seen to not be spotless. And so therefore they will be clothed in linen. And every portion of them will be linen. Matter of fact, their turbans will be linen. Their undergarments will be linen. They shall not gird themselves with anything which makes them sweat. And when they go out into the outer court, into the outer court to the people, they shall put off their garments in which they have been ministering and lay them in the holy chambers. Then they shall put on other garments so that they will not transmit holiness to the people with their garments. Also, they shall not shave their heads. Matter of fact, it is very specific here is to the length of their hair what they will drink and not be able to drink. Uh, verse 22, they shall not marry a widow or a divorced woman, but shall take virgins from the offspring of the house of Israel or a widow who is the widow of a priest. Moreover, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In a dispute, they shall take their stand to judge, and they shall judge it according to my ordinances. They shall also keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed feasts and sanctify my Sabbaths. They shall not go to a dead person to defile themselves, however, for father, for mother, for son, for daughter, for brother, or for a sister who has not had a husband. They may defile themselves. After he is cleansed, seven days shall elapse for him. And on the day that he goes into the sanctuary, into the inner court to minister in the sanctuary, he shall offer his sin offering, declares the Lord God. And it shall be with regard to an inheritance for them that I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession. In Israel, I am their possession. And they shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And every devoted thing in Israel shall be theirs. That's all interesting, isn't it? Wait a minute, I thought this was during the millennial kingdom. So why the reference to some of this stuff that we're seeing in these passages of Scripture? As I said, we're going to cover those, okay? And we're going to lay those out specifically as to what actually is occurring in the millennial kingdom. And oh, by the way, 
who goes into the millennial kingdom are there ones that are immortal in the millennial kingdom there will be will there be also those in physical mortal bodies in the millennial kingdom and to answer that question for you there will be so what is the millennial kingdom going to look like why the temple why all of this worship this prince that is going to be there as the leader as the administrator of this temple area the sons of Zadok of the tribe of Levi ones that have specifically been set aside and the reason that they're going to minister in the temple is because they were the ones who did not they did not profane they kept charge of the sanctuary and they did not move away from the things of God even during the times and the periods of captivity they remained true so if you go back to verse 4 of chapter 44 we need to build all the context here and one of the things that let me tell you what you will do and you have to be very careful with this you can't just take a chapter of Ezekiel and pull it out okay you must look at it in the context of all of it from the visions that God gave to Ezekiel and everything that is transpiring and you must follow that all the way out even to where we are right now in chapter 44 as we make our way through here because this is where it can get very confusing for you well wait a minute well why are they offering a sin offering why are they offering burnt offerings for why in the world do they have the grain offering why you know why all of the offerings i i thought all of that was done away with i thought the law was done away with i thought the old covenant was done away with why are they doing it now in the millennial kingdom i thought jesus christ was going to rule and reign from the city of jerusalem from the throne of david in the city of jerusalem i thought jesus christ was going to rule and reign from there for a thousand years well we're going to look at all of this verse four then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the house and i looked and behold the glory of the lord filled the house of the lord and i fell on my face Ezekiel saw it he fell on his face and the Lord said to me son of man mark well see with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of the Lord and concerning all its laws and mark well the entrance of the house with all exits of the sanctuary and you shall say to the rebellious ones to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God enough of all your abominations O house of Israel when you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to profane it and he's going back now and he's recalling what took place what brought them to this point to be in my sanctuary to profane it even my house when you offered my food the fat and the blood for they made my covenant void this in addition to all your abominations and you have not kept charge of my holy things yourselves but you have set foreigners to keep charge of my sanctuary thus says the Lord God no foreigner uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh and all the foreigners who are among the sons of Israel shall enter my sanctuary now notice verse 10 this is crucial but the Levites 
who went far from me when Israel went astray who went astray from me after their idols shall bear the punishment for their iniquity they are not going to serve in the temple the sons of Zadok are which are from the tribe of the Levites but they were the only ones who kept who kept the charge and kept true the things of God verse 11 yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary having oversight of the gates of the house and ministering in the house they shall slaughter the burnt offering the only thing they will do is take care of all the slaughtering and the offering but they will not physically be the ones who will present any of this before the Lord only the sons of Zadok verse 12 because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel therefore I have sworn against them declares the Lord God that they shall bear the punishments for their iniquity and they shall not come near to me to serve as a priest to me nor come near to any of my holy things to the things that are most holy but they will hear their shame and their abominations which they have committed yet will I appoint them keep charge of the house of all its service and all of all that shall be done in it it's pretty serious pretty serious position here all right <clears throat> we are out of time for tonight all right and i know that is a lot we're going to come back and we're going to break down verse 4 through verse 14 and see how far we get with those. I'm going to answer some of those questions for you. So what's going on in the millennial kingdom? What is taking place? What about the Levites? What about Zadok, uh, the priests of Zadok? What is taking place? Who's in the millennial kingdom? Who's going to be at the temple? Who's going to be worshiping? Wait a minute, I thought... I thought we who have been born again will be there as well. <clears throat> we will be, all right? But in a capacity that I don't think many understand and realize according to the Scripture. And we will take a look at that as well. So we've got a lot of stuff to answer as we make our way through chapters 44, 45, 46, 47, and 48. All right? It is going to take us a while probably to get through this. All right? Well, I hope that answers some of your questions. And I knew Brother Gene was going to have a question for us tonight. There are three. Some believe it's the Messiah or resurrected David or this leader administrator. Okay? It's the leader administrator role. But we know it's not the Messiah, and we know it's not the resurrected David. Because David was not priest and king. David was a king only. Okay? Nasi. Nasi. Uh -huh. It's actually spelled N-A. Okay? And in the English spelling of it, not the Hebrew spelling, but in the English spelling of it, when you transliterate that, it's N-A, put two little dots over the A, and then you have S-I, and that I is pronounced as E. Okay? So it's Nasi. Okay? All right?
okay let's stand and we'll have a word of prayer I'll be up here at the front if you've got some questions about what we went through please feel free uh, to come up here I'll uh, answer them for you okay and uh, as we continue to look at the millennial kingdom right I don't know about you but I'm just I can't imagine what it's going to be like what it's going to look like what all is going to take place there uh, but mm, looking forward to that day when it's going to come amen let's bow our heads and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer father we thank you for the time together tonight we thank you for your word and father as we look forward with anticipation of that day and your second coming uh, father when we will live with you throughout the thousand year reign and father what will take place and father our minds can only imagine what it will be like uh, father as we are there and so father i pray tonight that uh, we would just understand and realize that uh, all of this that lies ahead for us that those who are lost who so desperately need the gospel uh, father i pray that we would just continue to share the truth of the gospel that judgment is coming and father how desperately they need the lord jesus christ and so father we pray now that you would dismiss us uh, with your love tonight and we ask all this in jesus name amen and you're dismissed <laughs>